Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. Thank you all for being here this morning as we continue in our study in the life of Moses, someone that I think we all can relate to at different points in his life as different points come out during this series of messages. I'm sure we can see ourselves in Moses, maybe more often than we would like to admit. It's not always complimentary. We're now at a point in the study of the life of Moses where Moses is answering the call of God. There was preparation for the call of God the first 80 years of his life. Then we had several messages focusing on about a chapter and a half, chapters 3 through chapter 4, verse 16, which is the call of Moses. And since then, we have been looking at how Moses answered God's call, how God worked through Moses to accomplish the purposes of God. We're now in part seven of answering the call of God, the last phase of Moses' life. We've seen that they have been redeemed out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage where they were slaves for 430 years in Egypt, serving Pharaoh and the Egyptians, harsh taskmasters. And now they've passed through the Red Sea. The Lord fought for them, destroyed Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt. And we saw last week their song of praise in the first 18 verses. The men of Israel singing a hymn, a song of praise, the very first psalm or song in Scripture, written by Moses 450 years or so before King David wrote his psalms, his songs of praise to the Lord God. This is the second part because it begins with the women of Israel. Not to be outdone by the men, the women are going to go out there, not just with their voices, but with timbrels or something like tambourines, and they're probably going to put the men to shame. They're going to be singing the same praise to the Lord. Only the first verse is recorded of the song, of the psalm. They probably sang the whole thing in worshiping the Lord God. The title of today's message follows on last week, The Lord is Highly Exalted. But instead of just the praise to the Lord God, we're going to see a slightly different focus. And partway through this passage, we enter a whole new phase in the people, the life of the people of Israel, the people of God. Prior to this, the Lord had been getting them out of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. So it, it transfers very nicely to the believer in Christ. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Here, the people of God in the Old Testament, his chosen people, the Jews, they were taken out of Egypt 
out of the world. But now, the rest of the story from some of the verses our brother Joey read to us all the way to the end of Deuteronomy, the Lord is not taking them out of the world. He's already done that. He's redeemed them. He's getting the world out of them. He took them out of the world. Now he needs to get the world out of them. And we're going to see that world crop up again and again throughout these studies. We're going to, we see actually the third time, the second time since they were redeemed out of Israel, we're going to see them complaining. There are 11 complaints recorded, one, in Israel, one when they were still in Egypt. Moses comes to them in chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, he gathers together the elders of Israel, all the leaders of the people, and he tells them, the Lord is going to redeem you. The Lord's going to take you out of Egypt. You're not going to be slaves any longer to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And they say, right on. We're on board with this. We want this. Let's go. So Moses then, in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, let us go so that we can go worship the Lord. Pharaoh says, you're lazy. Get back to work. And then he instructs the taskmasters and the overseers, don't give them straw anymore. They're lazy. Let them fetch their own straw, and they still have to make the same number of bricks. What do the people do? They go to Moses and say, Meshugana, you're getting us in trouble with Pharaoh. You're causing problems for us. Why did you do this to us? Why don't you just go and leave us alone? That's their first complaint. The Lord then, through the Passover and the death of all the firstborn who were not covered by the blood, he brings them out, and they're by the Red Sea. Pharaoh thinks they're trapped, and he can destroy some of them, maybe drag others back into slavery in Egypt, and he goes after them. When they see Pharaoh and his armies coming, what do they do? Their first complaint after being redeemed, after being brought out of Egypt, they say to Moses, what, there weren't enough graves in Egypt for us, for us to die there? Instead, we got to die in, this in the wilderness? This is why we told you, leave us alone. It's better to serve Pharaoh than to die here in the wilderness. And Moses says, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. The Red Sea parts, they pass through. Pharaoh tries to go through with his chariots and his armies. God causes them to get stalled there and then allows the sea to close on them. Two complaints thus far, one after being redeemed, and we're going to see another complaint today as we go through this passage. Already it's sounding a little like us sometimes with the complaints. After such a powerful redemption, we still find it in ourselves at times to complain. How like 
the people of Israel. How like Moses who would take their complaints and sometimes voice his own to God. He did that earlier. Lord, why did you send me back here? It's only caused problems. You haven't brought us out of Egypt yet. And the Lord tells Moses, be patient. It's going to happen. Just as Moses needed patience, sometimes you and I as well. What is this passage really about? Well, we saw last week that Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, amongst the gods? Who is like unto thee? Glorious in holiness, awesome in praise, is doing wonders. And then from our passage today, it's connected with last week's message, Miriam answered them, answered the men, together with the rest of the women, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The same first verse of the song that the men sang. The passage is about the Lord, that he is highly exalted. In this passage, the Lord is revealed not only as highly exalted like last week, but he's the highly exalted provider of his people. We're going to see that he provides. This is the reason why he's highly exalted. Look, he should be highly exalted even if he does nothing just because of who he is. And we saw that last week. Praise him for who he is, not simply for what he has done or how he has blessed us. But he gives us plenty of reason to bless us. First and foremost, he gave us his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us the salvation that's found only in Christ Jesus, only in Messiah Jesus. The Lord is revealed in this passage as the highly exalted provider of his people. We're going to see that the highly exalted Lord provides the reason for good memories. He he provides required necessities. Here's one he provides. We may not like it, but he provides purifying testings. And he provides overflowing blessings. All four of these provisions will come out in this passage. If you take one thing away from this morning's message, let it be this. The Lord is your highly exalted provider who will provide for all your spiritual needs in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at this passage under four headings. The Lord is highly exalted in remembering. That is in remembering Him. In remembering what He has done. The Lord is highly exalted in providing. The Lord is highly exalted in testing. That's the difficult one. And then the Lord is highly exalted in blessing. So let's get right into this. The Lord is highly exalted in remembering. The Lord has performed mighty deeds. There's no doubt about it. We get a summary statement after the hymn of praise that the men sang in the first 18 verses. The summary of that hymn or song of praise, that psalm of praise, is found in verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea. The Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. 
but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. The Lord has performed mighty deeds. And, and someone might say, I want to see mighty deeds done. I want mighty deeds done in my life. The Lord has done mightier deeds than this. I'll name one for you. The cross of Jesus Christ and providing salvation to all who would believe. That's a mighty deed. Connected with that, the resurrection from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That's a mighty deed. He conquered sin and death and hell. What other religious leader has ever done that? Show me another empty tomb. Abraham's tomb was not empty. Muhammad's tomb was not empty. There is no religious leader's tomb who is empty except Jesus Christ. There is only one victor over sin and death and hell, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You want another one? Oh, Paul, those, those happened 2,000 years ago with Jesus Christ. I want to see a mighty miracle now in my life. Here's a mighty miracle, the miracle of the new birth brought about by the Holy Spirit. God transfers the sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation and Christ alone for salvation. He transfers that sinner from the domain of darkness under the bondage and control of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a mighty miracle. From death unto life. From what would be an eternal death, apart from God's saving work in the life of the sinner, brought about by faith in Jesus Christ to an eternal life. That is a mighty miracle. If you don't think that's a mighty miracle, trade it for something else. Christ himself said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can he give in exchange for his soul? Our eternal soul is precious. So precious, it costs the Lord Jesus Christ his life's blood. He shed his blood and died on the cross to provide that salvation. That is a mighty deed. The new birth. When Jesus Christ told his followers, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. That greater work, what could it possibly be? The apostles did some of the same miracles that the Lord did. How is that any greater? Well, here's something. The Lord had... He appeared to 500 followers at one time, 500. Yet on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, 3,000 professed faith in Jesus Christ. 500, 3,000. Seems that there were some greater works done than Christ himself had done during his life. We don't read of 3,000 being saved Later on, we'll read of 5,000 saved through the proclamation of the gospel, through the apostles, 
This is indeed a mighty work, the miracle of the new birth. It's a miracle because no one can bring it about through their own effort. No good works, no giving of money, no prayers, no church ritual, only faith and trust in Jesus Christ can bring that mighty work about. The Lord has indeed performed mighty deeds, and these mighty deeds ought to be remembered, just as Miriam and the rest of the women of Israel remember them. Miriam took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. This was a work of redemption that the Lord did in redeeming them, buying them out, bringing them out of Egypt, out of the world. The work that he has done in the life of the believer in Christ is a mighty work of redemption. He has brought us out of the world into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it ought to be remembered. How many days this past week did you or I specifically thank the Lord for saving us, for giving us his beloved son, for saving us at some point in our life, giving us the gift of repentance and faith so that we might trust in Jesus Christ? Did we remember that and praise him and thank him and worship him every day this week for that? For those mighty deeds that ought to be remembered? How about this past month? Do some days go by where we just don't think to thank God for the gift of his beloved son and his salvation? This time of year, we do try to remember that, don't we? But we ought to remember it all year round. Those of us who are God's children who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Lord is not only highly exalted in remembering, but the Lord is highly exalted in providing. The Lord, we're going to see, leads the children of Israel into a place, and he often leads us in our life to a place. may not be physically, but in our life circumstances, in our minds, in our hearts, to a place where we must recognize our need for his provision. He did that once before we were saved. We recognized that we were spiritual paupers. We had nothing to offer God, nothing with which to procure his salvation and his eternal favor and grace. It all had to be bestowed on us freely. The Lord leads us to a place where we must recognize our need for his provision. And even as believers in Christ... He often brings us to that place, that situation, that time of life. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. This is a very parched desert land with very little water. Some parts of it, there's only water in the spring as snow melt from the mountains comes down. But by summer, it's dried up. There's very little water. They look for a, an oasis, 
there's sometimes water at the oasis and palm trees and so on, but they went three days in the wilderness. Now, they have traveled about from, from the point where they crossed the Red Sea, three days, they have traveled about 30 miles. Uh, they're, you might say they're averaging 10 miles a day, but they're actually covering a little more. The first day, they had to, it wasn't a full day. The second day was a full day. And this day, sometime in the course of the third day, when they were going to make camp, they still had no water. Water is absolutely necessary to survive. If you've ever been through a military uh, survival training course, they tell you they use the rule of four, just in round numbers. You can go four minutes without air, four hours in extreme cold without shelter, four days without water, four weeks without food. This is the third day. They have no water. Things are getting a little desperate now. They may have had water part of these three days. They consumed it, and now they're desperate for water. They're looking for water. They recognize their need. They're getting pretty parched and dry. They need water. They know that they have this need. And the Lord will often lead the believer in Christ to a point in their life where they must recognize their need for the Lord's provision. He does that with the sinner. So they come to the same point as the tax collector in Luke 18. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The believer in Christ never outgrows that need for recognizing their dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a blessing, actually. That is a blessing. Forty years from now, Moses is going to write to the descendants of those who exited Egypt as they're about to enter the promised land. He's going to write to them. And he's going to, and he's going to speak to them, and it's going to be recorded for all to read. It's in Deuteronomy. And he's going to say, when you leave this desert land where the Lord has had to give you water and the Lord has had to give you food, manna from heaven, and you enter this land overflowing with milk and honey, take care that after you're living in good houses and you have plenty of food and plenty of water, take care that you never say, my hand has made me this wealth. Always remember it is the Lord your God who gives you power to make wealth, he tells them. It is a blessing when we find ourselves in a place of need and we need to cry out to the Lord. That is a blessing. Prosperity can be a curse. The Lord Jesus Christ taught the same thing in the parable of the sower. He talked about the seed that fell in amongst the weeds, and they grew up, and they choked it out. He said, take care, lest the cares of the world, and we never want the cares of the world, but he said the deceitfulness of riches 
choke out the word and it become unfruitful. It's not just need that causes us at times we allow it to take our eyes off the Lord and focus on our need. What am I going to do about that? I have this need. Instead of looking to him to meet that need, it's also the deceitfulness of riches. That's why Solomon in Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. It's better to recognize your need than to be in party mode because we don't think about the Lord when we're in party mode. We just think about the fun. They found no water. May God be gracious to us and lead us at times when it's necessary for us to a place of no water. Can you imagine praying that? I just prayed it to the Lord for all of us, myself included. May there be times in our life when we find no water and we recognize our need of him and his provision. The Lord leads us to a place where no one but him can provide for our needs. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place if, you know, if the Lord ever lets me down, I have my bank account to rely on. Oh, that is terrible. That is terrible. The Lord leads them, and he will lead us. If we trust in things other than him, he'll lead us to a place where no one but him can provide for our needs, not just our financial needs, our emotional needs, our psychological needs, our, our spiritual needs. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Marah is the Hebrew word for bitter or bitterness. The Lord leads us to a place where no one can provide for our needs, only him. Sad that sometimes this has to happen. The last place we look, as we'll see in a moment, is to the Lord. We look to everywhere else. We check online. What's the balance in our checking account? We go to other people. When we should be turning to the Lord. The Lord is often the last place we turn to when we have a need. Sad testimony for ourselves. But he doesn't reject us. He doesn't say, ah, you know, you waited too long. You know, you tried fruitless other ways. So forget about it. You're on your own. The Lord leads us to this place where only he can provide to cause us to look to him, to recognize him, to develop new gratitude and appreciation and devotion and love for him. The Lord leads us to a place where we often look to anyone but him to meet our needs. This is now the second grumbling since they were brought out of Egypt, the second of ten. It's incredible. They keep on asking for things. They get so tired of the manna that the Lord is going to provide them, they say, you know, we want, we want some better food than what the Lord provides. If only we had meat. You know, it's, it's, the Lord has a sense of humor. What does he do? He sends them quail in the middle of the desert. Millions of quail. They're like waist deep in quail. They're wading through quail. Okay, armpits for me. 
all right? The ground is covered with quail, and they're wading through it. The Lord has a sense of humor. You know what happens the tenth time they complain? After they get to the promised land, and they send in spies, and the spies come back and say, uh, Joshua and Caleb bring back a good report. Oh, we can go in and conquer them. The Lord will give us the victory. The other ten spies say, oh, no, there's giants in the land. We can't go in. The people complain again the tenth time, and they say, oh, if only we had died in the wilderness rather than to go into the land and get slaughtered by these giants. If only we had died in the wilderness. The Lord is up there, and I sort of picture him. Sounds like a strange request, but be it unto you as you have asked. And they all ended up dying in the wilderness. He answered that prayer. If only we had died in the wilderness. And they did over the next 38 years. They would die in the wilderness. Be careful what you grumble about. Be careful what you complain about. So the people grumbled at Moses, their leader. We love to grumble at our leaders. I remember as a, in my early 20s as a young believer in Christ, I, I sometimes grumbled at our leaders. Don't ever be a leader in any capacity if you have a thick, thin skin. Maybe the Lord will use the grumbling and complaining to thicken the skin. Maybe the Lord allows it to teach the leader something where they're falling short. But they grumble at Moses and they say to him, what shall we drink? Moses, a mere man, where's he going to give water to two million people? That's about how many of there were. There were 600,000 men of military age, not counting the women and all the children. What shall we drink? They go to Moses. How can a man provide all that water for them? Only the Lord can. No human can provide you with salvation. No human can meet your spiritual needs. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can. But often we look to anything. Another person, a savings account, our 401k, who knows what we look to instead of looking to the Lord. The Lord leads us to the place where we exhaust all our options and then finally we turn to him. The Lord leads us to a place where he alone gives the answer to our needs. Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. How this was done, it was miraculous. There's not an explanation for it where a single tree is going to purify immediately, instantly. It didn't rot and have something that it had soaked up from the ground when it was alive. It didn't rot and disseminate throughout the water. It would have taken too long. They all would have perished. This was an instantaneous miracle. He throws it in, and the waters become sweet. Only the Lord has the answers to our needs, whether it be done miraculously 
or through some other means, it is the Lord who provides for our needs. I like to suggest something here. I'm not saying this is a type necessarily or a picture, but it is analogous. Fifty years ago almost, the Lord showed me a tree. It was shaped like a cross. It was made of wood. His beloved son hung on that cross. And for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, he showed you a tree that took away all the bitterness of your life of sin, took away all the bitterness of my life of sin, and the waters of life became sweet because of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and what he did on that tree, Paul calls it a tree, in Galatians, because the cross was made of wood, like a tree. And because the Old Testament scriptures said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul writes, Christ became a curse for us, because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Christ underwent the wrath and judgment of his Father as he bore our sins in his body on the cross, on that tree. He underwent all the bitterness of God's judgment so that the sweet water of eternal life could flow from him to all who would trust in him. If you've never trusted in him, the Lord God can give you sweet eternal life for the bitterness that awaits all who reject him when he judges them in a day to come. The Lord alone has the answer for all of our needs. Now we come to a difficult one. The Lord is highly exalted in testing. Imagine that. The Lord uses his word as the basis of his testing. There. At Marah, after the waters became sweet, he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. He would put them to the test. He would tell them how they were going to be tested going forward. And it was his word. He made a statute and a regulation. This is his words to them. The Lord uses his word as the basis of his testing. You want to find out about the Lord's testing, you can find it in his word. A good place to start is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no testing, temptation, trial. You could translate that word all three ways. And based on the verses that come before, he refers to Israel in the wilderness, being tested and tried, testing often produces temptation. Are we going to take the easy, sinful way out, or are we going to endure with God's help under his trial? There's a temptation associated with trials. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no trial or temptation, no testing that has overtaken you, but such as is common 
to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tried or tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, provide the means of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's a little bit of a play on words. The way of escape is to endure it. That's the only way to escape the testings, the trials of God, is to endure it. If we run out from under it, if that's the path of escape, we're not more powerful than the Lord. We're only going to encounter at some point another situation that'll provide the same trial or testing or temptation for us so that we grow and we respond like Christ himself would in a temptation and we glorify God through it. The Lord uses his word as the basis of his testing and you can find out about testing in his word. Become familiar with it. Find out that God loves you so much that he will never allow you to be tested or tried or tempted beyond what you are able. We can never say, God, I cannot bear this. Instead, we will say, just like the Lord Jesus Christ did in Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And we will trust in God and his will for us. The Lord uses attention to his word as the guidance in the testing. If you need guidance in testing, in trials, in temptations, you will find it in his word. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, earnest heed, there, there's an earnestness, a sincerity, a, a, a focus on that. that uh, those two words are actually the translation of a single Hebrew word. The word for hear or listen. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 2. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Listen to the voice of the Lord your God. His voice is found written in his word for all of us. He gives us guidance in his word to deal with any trial, any testing, any temptation in life. The Lord uses obedience to his word as the means of testing. And he said, if you will hear or listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments, hear, give ear, is not just to hear it, but, I, you know, my father would sometimes give me instructions as a child and as a teenager, okay? It would go in one ear and out the other, and then... He'd come and find that I didn't do some job right. And he'd say, why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you listen? You see, we use the word listen. What he means is, why didn't you obey me? Why didn't you do what I said? We use the word listen. I'm sure this is familiar to all of you. Listen sometimes can mean hear, but it can also mean obey, follow instructions. Here we have repetition. We all know repetition's important. The Lord would say, truly, truly. Oh, we got to pay attention to this. Here, three times, he says the same thing. Do what is right in his sight. Give ear or obey or listen to his commandments. Keep 
all his statutes. Three times he says the same thing. The Lord uses obedience to his word as the means of testing. This shows that we have faith in him when we act on what he says and we obey. The Lord uses testing as a means of divine spiritual hearing. Do what is right, give ear to, obey or listen, and keep all his statutes. He says, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. If you were to look at the ten plagues that the Lord inflicted on Egypt, One of them uh, deals with a disease on the cattle, not on the Egyptians themselves. And then the next one, I believe it's the seventh one, was boils on man and animal. And then the last one was the death of the firstborn. All ten were not diseases. The diseases here, this is not a promise from God, even to the Jews, that they would never be sick. They're not going to have the sniffles. They're not going to have an allergy or a cold. Diseases can also be thought of here as disasters. They're not disconnected from the judgments of the Lord. Everything that happened, the Nile turning to blood, the frogs and the lice and and the flies and everything else were part of the judgments of the Lord. They were disasters that came upon the Jews, uh, on uh, on the uh, Egyptians. The darkness, these were all judgments for their rebellion to the word of the Lord. What he's saying is, if you will obey, none of these judgments will come upon you. There's a very common way that the Jews thought and wrote in their culture. For example, when you read about anger, do you know that the Hebrew there, whenever you read about anger, is not anger like we think? It symbolizes anger. Anger, but it's not the word for anger. You're going to laugh at this. What it often is, is the nose or the big nose. The big nose of the Lord was against. The big nose. How does how do they, how do they translate in anger? Well, you know, this is not necessarily a very good fighting technique, but you've probably seen people do this when they get angry. The schoolyard bully. I saw a lot of those. The schoolyard bully goes, and their nostrils flare out, and their face comes forward like they're going to go after you. The big nose. You know, anything that's closer to you looks bigger than it is. It looks bigger than what's behind it. That's actually what the Hebrew says. The big nose or the nostrils sometimes of the Lord. See, the nose there is a picture of anger. The diseases here are a picture of his judgment. This is what it would have meant to the mind of the Jewish reader and of those who heard these words. The diseases is what they saw. 
The nose is what you see. But what it's really indicating is the anger that lays behind the nose, coming towards you, the big nose, as well as the judgment that lies behind the diseases. The Lord uses testing as a means of divine spiritual healing so that we don't undergo his judgment or for the child of God so that we don't undergo the chastening rod of the Lord. Like Hebrews 12 tells us, he disciplines or chastens every child whom he receives. And then lastly, the Lord is highly exalted in blessing. Wait till you hear this. The last verse. The Lord has incredible blessings in store that we will experience in his time. You're going to see in a moment how this comes out. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Remember, they had been three days without water. They had traveled about 30 miles in those three days. They probably covered more than 10 miles on the second day, their only full day that they really traveled. Remember I said you can go four days without water? Had they not complained, had they camped thirsty, woke up the next morning and headed out before that fourth day, no more than 12 miles away was Elim with the oasis. Had they not complained, had they endured yet one day more, they would have reached Elim with no complaints, no grumbling against the Lord, no sin, just trust in the Lord one more day, and they would have reached Elim. That's how close it was, but they did not know that the water was there. Instead of trusting in God, they walked by sight and not by faith. And their second complaint is now recorded for all eternity in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, can you and I trust in Him yet one more day. Whatever trial we might be going through in life, trust in him one more day. We may need to trust more, but if it's a matter of life and death, he provided, he could have provided for them just one more day at Elim. It was already there. He didn't create Elim for them, it was already there. They just didn't know what the provision of the Lord was, how he was going to meet their need, and they resorted to complaining. The Lord has incredible blessings in store that we will experience in his time. Trust in him yet one more day. Let me challenge you today as we close. Will you begin 
to pray, thanking the Lord daily for all that he has done for you. He has redeemed you. He has given, a, given you his beloved son and his salvation. He's redeemed you out of the world. And now he wants to get the world out of us, sanctify us and make us more like his son. Will you pray daily, thanking him, worshiping him for all that he has done in your life? And then will you begin to pray patiently, asking the Lord to guide you by his word in the trials of life? Would you be willing to do that? It'll change your life as you thank him and focus on all of his many blessings. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the power of your word. How we thank you for being the great provider that you've provided for us everything as your word says, pertaining to life and godliness in the Lord. We lack nothing. We have everything by your grace in accordance with your word through the power of your spirit, everything we need to live a life that's pleasing to you, to become more like your beloved son. And how we thank you for all this. Oh, dear God, we look forward in the days to come how you will provide if we trust in you just one more day or one more week, whatever your plan is for our life in any trial, we know if we will endure, we will see, as did the children of Israel, the salvation of the Lord, the deliverance of the Lord, your rescue, your provision for us in our hour of need. Oh, dear God, be pleased to strengthen us in the inner person so that we trust in you. Remind us to pray thanking you daily for all the things you have done for us. Oh, dear God, give us a heart to seek your guidance from your word so that we may live a life that will bring you honor and glory. We ask all this for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you, Paul. You know, it's amazing 